Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we bring back Jesse Berger, who is the author of Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin, and he's been on talking about that particular book, but we're doing something different today. He's actually been on talking about that book. He's been on with Greg Foss. He's been on with his friend, Neil Winokur. Neil, if you don't remember Neil, he's the grumpy accountant and wrote a book by that title where he shares how we should completely revamp the tax code here in Canada. It's a great read. If, if that's of interest to you, definitely check out Neil's book. Um, and you can find that at grumpyaccountant.ca. But Jesse Berger is back because he's taken the time to break down what happened at the Ad Adamson barbecue situation, I guess last last uh, last year when Adam Skelly, the owner of Addison, Adamson Barbecue, was shut down and taken into police custody. And Jesse goes through the charters of rights and freedoms here, the charter of rights and freedoms here in Canada. I'm completely uneducated in this area and I guess I'm embarrassed to admit it. I feel like we do deep dives, Nick and I, in a lot of different areas, but I don't really know the first thing about our charter of rights and freedoms. I don't even know if I'm saying it properly right now. So Jesse does a great, great job going through that in this Medium article he put together and he uses Adam Skelly, the owner of Addis, Adamson Barbecue, to, to bring light to what should have happened and how things should have gone down according to how he's interpreting the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And I think it's really important to have these discussions. I think too often in 2021, everyone gets shut down by picking a side, whether you agree with Jesse or disagree with Jesse. Let's all have a discussion, an open discussion without labeling and attacking. I think we owe that to each other. So when a friend like Jesse puts in the time and effort to put this information together, we definitely want to give him the opportunity to discuss it and share it so that we can learn more about what he's dove in, uh, dove, what he's divin, dove in, <laughs> what he's expressed in this article. How about we go with that? So thanks, Jesse, for doing that. We're going to link out to the full article. If you're listening to this and you want to get access to his full article, you can get it on his Twitter handle and you can also get it on the show notes, which are available at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. Find this episode and we will link out to the Medium article where Jesse broke it all out. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the real estate market, but you're confused whether you should, is it the right time, the wrong time, where are interest rates headed, what's going on with population, what strategy should you use, what house type might be the right investment for you, are prices going to go up forever, are they about to crash? We do our best job at trying to share all of that information at Rock rockstarinnercircle.com. We have some reports on population growth, the destruction of the middle class there. We have some free copies of our books, Income for Life for Canadians is the most popular one. You can grab a copy there. You can also register for our introduction to real estate investing training class off rockstarinnercircle.com. That's a monthly class where we dive into the different strategies we're using with Canadians around the greater Toronto area to build an asset base that produces income for themselves and their families. It's definitely a tricky subject especially with real estate right now, the way interest rates are and population growth, but we share everything we're doing in real time. You can find all the information from us at rockstarinnercircle.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life your term show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Jesse Berger. 
the author of Magic Internet Money. And I just mentioned to him, I have his last copy that I'm about to mail to somebody. If you're listening to this, you know who it is who's getting it because I'm trying to get you to read this book. Nick, I was just telling Jesse who we're sending this out to. It's some of some insurance people we know. Let's just leave it at that. Um, so Jesse, your book is going to go into Canada Post and find its way onto somebody's desk. So someone else, someone else will be exposed to this world. But that's not what we're here to talk about today because of what Jesse wrote an article on Medium called Risk It for the Brisket, The Barbecue Rebellion and the Great Reject. And uh, we, we are here to talk to Jesse about this article and the research that you've put into what's going on in the, in, I guess, what is it, in our Charter of Rights? You're gonna educate us. Nick and I, we know, listen, we know a lot about the economy, a lot about interest rates. You ask me a single question about the Charter of Rights in Canada and I immediately, uh, Nick, I don't know, I'm looking at you because I don't know any, I literally no, don't know anything. I don't. I feel like maybe there was a high school class where I, yeah, there was, it wasn't, there was a high school class where we covered some of that, but I don't even know which one it would have be. So uh, yeah, we know nothing, Jesse. L- listen, I... Come, pull the mic closer to you, pull it closer okay, to okay, you. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, I went through you know, a bit of an exploratory journey with this article. I'm not, I'm by no means an expert on Canadian law, on law in general. I do not have any law degree or anything of that nature. Um, but I went looking and learning and trying to teach myself because it seems that our rights are being violated pretty blatantly. And I think the effects are negative. I think that We've, we've now documented that. There is plenty of research to back that up. And that needs to be part of the conversation of what's going on in Ontario and Canada because we are very, very, very fixated on one issue, and that's COVID. Um, but health for all individuals is more than one issue. Um, I, so I, set, I, I set couldn't tell your, your your opinion here because at one point, okay, you could say set us up, but just just I had to say this at one point. One of the lines from from the article is at one point this winter in a display of utter contempt towards its residents. I was like, oh, so your 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 opinion on this is very clear. <laughs> but but Tom, what were you going to say? Set I was going to say set us up. So like, what did you write in the article? Like, what's the basis of the article? Set it set it up so to give everybody a big picture, and then we can dive into it. I have some questions for you and a few points that you've written throughout the article that I get. I wanted to just get your thoughts on. So set us up. What did you What did you write here? Yeah. So this is about. It's about more than a brisket stand or a barbecue joint, right? It, he Adam, Adam Skelly, the owner of Adamson Barbecue, um, made headlines when he defied provincial orders and opened his restaurant back in the fall, back in November. Um, and I've listened to you know numerous interviews and things with him. And, and the reason he did that was because Doug Ford said, we won't close down restaurants again. This again, this is back in the fall. He goes, we won't close down restaurants again unless we have you know data to back it up, unless we can prove to you um, that there is spread and other things. You know that it's actually detrimental to have these things open. Spread and from restaurants specifically, sp- right? Spread from restaurants specifically and gyms and salons and sure. all that. Doug and Ford did say, "I'm so I, I he, ignore he, so much of this stuff that I, I didn't know. know." Doug Ford did say that. Yeah, uh, okay. I like. Again, I I wasn't paying attention to it as deeply back then, and I've sort of had to go back and look through. But he did say that, and then three days later, we go into this lockdown that has been effectively never-ending in Toronto. And it's been painful, and a lot of people are very scared. Um, and I think that's a problem because it's there's a lot of fear 
out there and we should be as Canadians trying to be, you know, brave and trying to face our problems and work together to solve them. But when we are separated and disconnected, that gets harder. And there's these knock-on effects, these unintended consequences. Um, and those are things like youth suicide attempts have tripled. Um, anxiety, depression, all that is skyrocketing. Uh, really? So there is data on some of the suicide attempts? Yeah. So in the article, right, I, I provided hyperlinks. Like yeah, every I couldn't click on all your hyperlinks because it would have taken me 18 days to read all, all, yes. all of everything. But that's, that is documented? That's that's, that is the point of why I wrote this the way I wrote this is that if you, everything I'm saying in here, I, I am backing up. And it's not just I'm backing it up from like, you know, jo, you know Joe Schmo reporter Twitter account. It's CTV global cbc like i'm using all of our reputable quote reputable news sources to illustrate these points um i'm also quoted stats canada i also quoted um public ontario public health okay so let's back up for a second then what happened to the barbecue guy adam skelly walk us through that for those who don't know because someone like me i saw the headline uh, and we were talking about this before we record we started recording I look at some of this stuff and I just kind of like, oh, geez, I'm just going to ignore. I'm living my life on my on my terms. I'm going to just keep going with how I'm going to create my life and ignore as much of this as possible. And eventually someone will tell me what's going on. But to filter through all of this myself, I have no interest other than it did catch my eye when I saw all the police officers in front of his place. And then in your article, you wrote down, I think it's like 253 police officers and mounted units and all this kind of stuff. So then, uh, you know, then that obviously caught my attention, but other than just casually going, Oh, and then the first thing that crosses my mind, I got to tell you is like, Oh, crazy guy. Crazy. Like literally like no, that's, that's I'm just to totally just, understandable. Yeah, reaction. Like, I'm like, Oh, okay. This guy. And then I, then I just think, Oh, well, rightly or wrongly, I guess he's trying to make it. Maybe he's totally you know competent in everything he's thinking and he's trying to make a stand and that's fine too but i'm just going to move on with my life and i never really paid much more attention than that yeah he's he's by no means a perfect human being uh you know and that goes for all of us um as for the and i have never met the guy so if he's ever listening to this i don't mean crazy guy and with any disrespect i just that was yeah, the just first know who he was i didn't know who he was i didn't know his story no, i, I mean there's so many people out there just tr trying to get attention they do things exactly. to get attention and you I don't know maybe, who he is so maybe you know, he is the, maybe he's not the right? marketer in me initially thought oh the guy's getting attention Smart, for yeah. his restaurant it didn't <laughs> seem that way at first right but if so i've uh, i've sort of exchanged messages with him here and there but you know his restaurant is is basically toast at this point um he he this killed his business um he had 50 employees at one point i think he was down to eight for a while and now i think i just heard today he might be down to four um you know this, he, his business is done. Oh, I never really thought of that because they're still open for takeout. Yeah, they're still oh, they're open for takeout. Cross my mind. Got um, it. So yeah, he's he didn't do this to save his business. <laughs> That's that that wasn't the point. Um, in fact, he's willingly throwing his business under the bus because he knows that this is about you know whether his business survives or not is irrelevant. It's whether you know people whether we also and how we survive. Like the how we survive all of this is very important. It takes that, you know, that long-term vision. It's very easy to get scared and, you know, the, the two the, the two inches in front of your face and be like, well, you know, the virus is knocking on our doorstep. I, I get that. I understand that. But there's more to life than that. So you took it from the approach of that the Charter of Rights here in Canada is not being honored. Is that the right way to say it? Not being followed, not being protected? Yeah, we've... What, 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 in your eyes, what was wrong with what happened 
there in that situation and in, in general? Right. So, I mean, number one, obviously, it was the biggest show of force in, by, by the police in Canada since the G20, in, which was back in 2010. And I mentioned that in the article. So think think about is that. that when, is that when the G20 riots? It, did, was it 2010 that long? Yeah, I was we actually, did have riots. Didn't we have cars on fire here and stuff? I went down. That was in Vancouver, I think. Oh yeah, no, yeah. no, we had it here. I was there. Yeah, I was, I, I was there too. Yeah. So oh, were it was, you? It was right at you Queen. guys were the. I, wait a second. I, were you guys the ones? There was who said a, that? I'm pretty sure it was a police car at Queen and oh, uh, maybe, University maybe Bay, right. Bay, maybe Queen right. or something. One car. We're Canada, well, so it was like time. one car caught on fire. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, I went right up to the riot lines. So I was taking pictures with the guys and stuff like that because I was like, if this is if this is going to go down based on other you know G20 um, meetings in other parts of the world, I'm like. I want to see what this is like. So I was kind of hanging back a little bit, but it was weird, man. Smoke in the streets, people just smashing windows, like walking and then decide to throw a brick through a window and stuff. You're like, this is kind of creepy, man. Yeah, I saw some, you know, I remember seeing some smashed windows and yeah, stuff as I was walking down. And I was only down there during daylight hours. I was like 20, how old would I have been? 23, 24, whatever, whatever it was. But um, a young guy back then. And, the, you know, I was only out in daylight hours. I didn't want to be around at night in case stuff got crazy. And it did, right? They were hurting or I think the term is kettling, kettling, yeah, hurting, yeah. whatever it is. So basically, boxing in protesters in the middle of Queen yeah. and Bathurst or whatever. I left whatever just before they did that. That's where I took the picture with the, with the riot guys. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna leave, and then they did that. No, like shortly yeah. after I left, I'm like, thank oh God I missed gosh. that. Thank God you left, yeah. man. Yeah. So just I could have got that call, Tom. I'm in the middle of this thing. Please come here uh, and get me. I wasn't protest. I was just kind of like checking it all out. I was. <laughs> but but this group of protesters, right? And so there was probably I don't know 50, 60, 100 people in that group, and it's like you're condemning these people as guilty before they're innocent, right? You're, you're closing them in so that you can sort of, whether you're going to beat them or not, and then arrest them and take them in. And like, what have they done? You, some of them may have been part of the the mob that yeah. was, that was throwing shit, but like there was a lot of people in there. So what's interesting about what you're saying, cause it lines up with, with the article as well, is that they ended up losing a lawsuit with all that, right? It, it just so happened. Yeah. And, but it, it takes so Who's long. they lost a lawsuit? The Toronto, Toronto Police Department. I don't know if it was, it was Toronto Police, so I it, believe. It, was, it just so happened that in October 2020, a month before Skelly did his thing, um, the Toronto Police lost their lawsuit. There was a class action lawsuit filed by the G20 protesters, and the Toronto Police had to settle for $16.5 million paid to the protesters. Wait a second, Nick, you were there. For unlawful, for unlawful <laughs> arrest and detentions. Jesse, you were there. Oh, but you, have to, get 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 you have to get arrested. Oh. Did you have to get arrested? I didn't. Well, I didn't get arrested. No, but if you no. did, would you, you got a piece of that sixteen million? Potentially, but oh, I, I, I would have rather not, not been arrested. No, no, I know. <laughs> Good no, point. Good thinking, point. You know, <laughs> parlayed that right into your Bitcoin. There, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, okay. Yeah. We're all, we're, but you know so, what? You know but, what thought just came to my mind. I know this is ridiculous, but you know, with autonomous vehicles, like I was just thinking, oh my gosh, if Nick was in trouble there and I had a Tesla. Could I just put in the coordinates to go there and then the door would open. Nobody's driving the Tesla. You jump in sideways into Tesla and it no. whisks you away. You got to send the, dr the drone, the autonomous drone to oh, come. Because it's got to lift yeah, you yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but dude, you're like, how much do you weigh? I mean, what kind of drone is that? That's not <laughs> good. But, but, but what's interesting about this is that it, it so you said, it, when was that? 2010? Because uh, I forget. The G20 you. was yeah, in 2010. So it took 10 years for that thing to come to, come to fruition because it was last year that got settled. 10 years. Whereas that's the, that's the challenge with this stuff now. The people that are challenging, they're looking at some of these things and, you know, and maybe it's, it's some of the other rules around the quarantining and stuff like that. And they're like, well, this is against the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, whatever. But it doesn't matter because it takes so long to go through the courts anyways that this should be long gone. Yeah, and it, that's a huge that's, issue. That, that's the thing that, that's something that concerns me yeah. going forward about, you know, are we going to endure this, whatever this new reality is for a decade? 
that that yeah, to me yeah. is a scary proposition. I never really and, thought about it like that. Please don't repeat that again. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, and I, I suppose I should say just before we keep going, like I don't feel 100% comfortable even talking about all this stuff because like this is not the. Th- this is not where my background is. This is not necessarily the thing that I'm most interested in. It's just so prevalent and heavy in the world and in the place that I live right now that I can't not think about it and want to talk about it and help get the message out to try to help people understand why A, our rights matter, and B, why what we're doing right now is harmful. Oh, it's a very taboo subject. So so let's go through it. Why do you think here what happened? What was it about the Charter of Rights that was broken? What, 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 What happened here or what should have happened yeah. Where, where do you feel the wrongdoing happened in this in this particular so, case? So the Charter of Rights is very clear, right? People have the freedom to travel, to assemble, to speak, right? To, for free speech. Pretty basic freedoms as we understand them. Um, to violate those rights, you must demonstrate in the legislature, in a court of law, it must be demonstrably proven that there is an issue that supersedes those rights, that we need to impede on those rights. Um, the problem with what we did in Canada was, and I, I so I mentioned this in uh, near the outside of the article, or, or um, so I, I write that uh, what went unmentioned by our national media when the hysteria began was that Parliament never bothered to invoke the Emergencies Act. So the Emergencies Act is specifically designed to be invoked during national emergencies. The parliament is supposed to say, oh, we have a, a, a national crisis. COVID would seem to very clearly qualify as this national crisis, right? It was, it's obviously in gl- making global headlines. It's, it's, it's all over the place. We can't, you know, so it's, it seems like it should qualify. Um, so it is their duty to come up with a framework for, okay, if there's an emergency, how do we legislate so that we are trying to mitigate it and protect the people that need to be protected? Um, and the Emergencies Act states that the legislature in Ottawa, Parliament, is supposed to take the rights of Canadians into consideration as they create these new temporary, they're not permanent, temp- they're supposed to be temporary rules. But we never did any of that. Parliament never debated, discussed, that never happened. It, what, so what, what did we do? So we had the provinces institute their version of the rules. We said, okay, provinces, go your own way, just implement rules based on, you know, follow your public health leaders, follow your, your, your chief public health officers. And so we've been doing that. So we have, and as a result, we have unelected, right? Unelected is a key word in my opinion, unelected medical officials making the rules for society. They are only considering one facet of things, right? Like govern people who govern, even if they are flawed, are meant to take into, you know, social considerations, economic considerations, all that, all of that factors into governance. But when it's only the public health governing and just creating rules on the fly, switching rules, okay, this this is on, this is off, red zone, gray zone, blah, blah, blah. They're making it up as they go, and they're just imposing it. There's no debate discussion. There's no hard and fast rules. So so just to play devil's advocate there with you, then wouldn't wouldn't it be easy to counter what you're saying by saying, well, the leader of the of the provinces was elected by the people. They have a chief medical officer for a reason. That person was chosen there with some sort of credentials or, right, or but, something. But, but we also have family doctors, right? Like I, I take my medical advice or I'm supposed to consult with my family doctor because they take my personal unique circumstances into account and say, okay, this is right for you. This is wrong for you. You're safe to do this. Or you're not safe to do that. With a chief public health officer, it's one blanket policy for everyone. 
right? Someone, it might be perfectly safe for someone my age, my demographic, whatever, to go about to mingle in society and I'll more or less be fine. Like I can be advised of the risks. I can say, you know what? I think for me personally, it's worthwhile because I've had this conversation with my doctor. Here's, you know, there's risks, there's rewards. And then I can go and make that decision. But choice has been removed, right? That's your right. You have a right to choose. Do I want to go to a restaurant? If the restaurant is open, some the restaurant says, you know what? I feel like it's okay to be open. I'm going to be open. Not everyone has to show up, but those that want to show up can show up. That choice for both the restaurateur and the, the, the customer has been removed. And that goes for gyms, that goes for salons, that goes for movie theaters, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but the so- counter argument to that is that the harm being done with the with because I get where you're coming from, yep. but but to the point of like they have to take other people into consideration. The counter argument, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, yep. is that there's more harm being done because they could potentially. I, I well, it's a vi- the, I don't well, want to say the words, you know, but you know they could cause the spread. Well, and it's all a virus that spreads because yeah. people are mingling, so I just we're protecting I the I, greater I, good. That, yeah. That's the counter I haven't argument. Spoken like that in a year, so I don't want to start now. But, but that, yeah, but, as the counter argument, that's what it is, right? Totally, and I, and I, and I get that argument. The thing is, you know, when we first did this in March 2020, and we went to the snap lockdown, like okay, it made sense. We all panicked. We didn't know anything about the virus, but we know more about it now. And again, you know, I'm talking about this as not a medical expert, yeah, as yeah, not yeah. a legal expert. As it's, an observer I, just, from I'm the just, sidelines. I'm observing what I see, right? So we know factually that um, people who are 70 years of age and older, I think account for whether it's 78 or 80% it's, it's of large, deaths. Yeah. People in group home settings at long-term care facilities account for 80% of deaths, right? The, those are very clearly identifiable groups that we should be protecting. But literally, Teresa Tam, and I mentioned this in the article too, came out and said, we failed to protect the vulnerable. We spent a whole year locked down so that they could fail to protect the vulnerable. So if, why did we, sac- what did we sacrifice for? If they didn't do their job, they admitted that they didn't do their job. What have we been sacrificing for? That's a documentable thing again, as I, well, that 80% of the deaths have been from that category of person in long-term care facilities? Yes, I, I will say I, I don't have that in front of me. I didn't put that in the article. I, um, I've seen similar but numbers. But I've, yeah, I've, seen, okay. I've seen numbers quoted in a lot okay. of places. And, that, and, and I guess where then I, you know, what's interesting in what you're saying is that if you have three parties, if you have one person who thinks we should all be locked down or you know, for the greater good, we should all stay at home, then you have another party who thinks, well, no, I wanna go out to the restaurant. And then you have the restaurateur, the business owner. So if there's three people in that situation, and I guess if the province decides, no, we're locking down, then, and that satisfies the interest of the one person, because I'm assuming the restaurant, let's say the restaurant wants to open and let's say, I want to go to the restaurant. Yep. But the, the, there's another party saying, no, for the interest of safety, we must lock down. So now freedom of choice has been removed for three people. Yes, as opposed to just as opposed one to voluntarily one saying. Person. And is that like the broader message that you're you're saying? Or yes. no, am I, is, no, be, no, I would say that's that's on. Because now we're saying for all three people, you don't have a choice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that that is, I would say, uh, definitely a part of like the broader message that, you know, we live in a free and open society, or at least we used to. That was why generations of people flocked to Canada, right? It's a land of opportunity. It's free. It's fair. That has all been shut down. And again, I could, you know, sympathize with, okay, we need to do it for this short period of time, for the two weeks at the outset, for whatever it was. 
But if it didn't work for the last year, what makes anyone think that another couple weeks are going to work? If masks, I, again, I was telling you before we came on air, I walk the streets of Toronto. I live in, you know, more or less central Toronto. Um, 80 or 90% of people are wearing masks outside, forget indoors, outside walking the streets while getting fresh air. If it, if masking and distancing and the lockdowns, if it all hasn't worked up to this point, what makes anyone think that it's going to work going forward? Mm-hmm. We have no one else to blame it on anymore, right? Like we blame the restaurants and the bars and the gyms. We blamed certain but then small in, businesses. In, in people's defense there, I guess this yeah, is sorry, interesting. I, I, yeah, no, no, it's interesting because it just gets me thinking. I'm like, okay, well then in people's defense there, it reminds me of like when I get crazy over talking about my interest rates and global debt and I'm like, ah, oh, like, why don't people realize it? And then, and then I always think, well, you know what? People are busy. They're, they're, they're trying to make a living for their family. They're going to work. Um, they're coming home. I know it's, it's funny what I'm saying now because I guess with lockdowns, a lot of people are actually going to work. But anyway, they're working and they're providing for their family. And Jesse, they just read the headlines. They don't have time to see it. To, to see it. So you can't really point the finger at them. You know, like, holy smokes, there's so much going on. How much can you pay attention to everything and know what's right and not totally. right? Totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not... There tr- is a bit of that, right? 100%. Yeah. And I'm not trying to point the finger at people. I, I can totally sympathize with people who are not taking in the full picture and who only read, you know, CBC Global, CTV kind of thing. Um, they are not doing a good enough job of having a holistic conversation about the problem and about the solutions because we have examples of whether it's other states or other countries that have done a better job at mitigating um, the spread of COVID at deaths or whatever, and they have far looser policies. Did you see that shot of uh, South Beach? Uh, was it last week for spring break where there were so many people packed into the strip of South Beach there? They had to declare a temporary state of emergency and they put in the police just I, to disperse the crowd I because think- literally there were so many people. You couldn't even see the road. It was just, he- did you see screenshots of this thing? I, I think I heard, I heard about the state it of emergency, was, was, but I think that was not, that didn't actually happen, the state of emergency. Well, but, but no, they put a curfew in place. They put a curfew. Oh, did they? Yeah, was, they but did. It wasn't like it wasn't, a COVID related yeah. thing. It was just, there were so was, many people that, they that were. you could, when you saw this image, it was literally shocking. But Nick, the, I showed oh, it to yeah, you. Oh yeah, no, it was good. It was, and, and it was it, just bodies. Because I guess everybody who wanted to go and have fun crammed into the only place where you could go. Well, that tells you something, right? Like people know the risk and they decided they, they wanted the to go, that okay. it was worthwhile to them so, to go. I want to ask you something. Why did you put this in your article? This was interesting to me. And what's the importance of it? It's a, You have this, this here. It says, on February 17th, 2021, while presiding over another case, Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson of British Columbia Supreme Court referenced the Adamson barbecue saga, noting that, and in quotes, there was no charter right engaged. Uh, by Justice Kimmel in her initial decision against Skelly. So what let, does that mean? There is no charter right engaged. Let's let's backtrack just for a second. Okay. So because I'll put that in context for you. I had to <laughs> initially that sequence of events. So in the, the article as it stands, it's like five or six bullet points. Initially, it was like a page and a half. I had a huge I, w- I was going to cover so much more than I ended up covering in this article, if you can believe that. <laughs> um, yeah, because you're pretty thorough here. And, and anyone listening will link to the article in the show notes for this episode so that you can get to it or you can just Google up Jesse Berger and find him on Medium so, and Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So initially, um, Adam Skelly was he posted bail a bail of fifty thousand um, dollars on November twenty seventh, and Justice Jessica Kimmel, who presided over the initial case, said he was forbidden from posting on social media, and he was ordered to stay two hundred meters away from his restaurant. This is immediately after he got arrested. The twenty seventh was uh, 
or the 26th might have been the day that, uh, yes, the 26th was the day where there was the big show of force with all the police. And so he was arrested that day. And then the next day he was released on bail, $50,000. And, and the, again, the punishment was forbidden from posting on social media, clear violation of free speech, uh, and ordered to stay 200 meters away from his restaurant. So Justice Robert Goldstein, who subsequently, I guess, reviewed his case, I, I, I not sure exactly how the process went, but basically subsequently reviewed it, deemed that Justice Kimmel's initial conditions were, quote, and this is from court, um, Ontario Superior Court Justice Robert Goldstein, quote, an error of law, and that the restrictions were, quote, simply too broad since they violated his charter rights uh, to freedom of expression and also right to access his business property. So accordingly, uh, Justice Goldstein altered those conditions and said, Skelly, and he gave Adam uh, permission to use social media so long as he does not, quote, publicize, organize, or incite breaches of the law. That is perfectly fair. He was violating the this provincial edict. He disagreed with it, and he was violating it. Now the judge says, okay, you, you made your show. No more incite. You know, you can't incite this anymore. I, I can support that. That makes perfect sense. Secondly, he gave Adam, Adam Skelly permission uh, to operate his business, provided, quote, he does so within the boundaries of the law and regulations. Again, meaning... Currently, no indoor dining, so can't do indoor dining. If you're going to do takeout, you can do takeout. Again, those make sense. Um, so Goldstein, you know, did in what I, in my interpretation, is, you know, the right thing, did did his job as justice um, they, without they, violating they someone's to, right. The, the initial judgment was needed because they needed to to show the repercussions to people. It, like, it was almost like for show. Because I, I, can't, it, I can't believe that the initial judge, judge didn't realize that the the the, the uh, restrictions were excessive. I just, I, I mean, maybe yeah, she did. I, but I don't I know. feel like it was like there was a political component to it, saying, "Hey, we got, we need to put on a show. We need to show people that we're serious about this, so no one else does it." Right, I, and I could be wrong. That's it, definitely my personal opinion. That's the impression it sort of gives. Obviously, I have no idea, but that that's the also maybe the show of force with well, all the, the police officers. Like, why do you want to risk all those police officers in front of your business? Yeah. Two hundred and fifty-three police. But, officers. but think <laughs> about that. Think about that. It's a restaurant. It's a single restaurant. They sent two hundred and six mounted units to a yeah. single restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. What are you? I didn't even okay, know. So, why? Let's, so let's so get anyway, back to the charter. So, so, so then basically, I'm not uh, to and again, the, the perfect clarity. I'm not 100 percent sure why Justice Hinkson brought it up, but um, in after, British Columbia, in British Columbia, no less. But after um, Goldstein had already relaxed conditions, but basically he was presiding over a similar case. I believe it was it's like three Fra uh, Fraser Valley churches. I, I I'm going to screw up the name, okay. so I apologize. But presiding over a case where again churches in BC wanted to open up. And the judge, I, I don't know what the final outcome was, um, but basically I, I think he allowed them to open, but he said, quote, there was no charter right engaged by Justice Kimmel in the decision against Skelly. Basically, he was referencing for his decision for Fraser Valley that we're going to let you open. And I'm, again, I should probably know this, but I, I've been swamped with so much information and data lately that it's escaping me. Um but reference the case, and that is kind of noteworthy because now you have in two provinces, two Superior Court judges saying, you know, there were sort of issues with the way the law was treated in this case. And that, I think, adds fuel to his fire for his coming case, right? That very clearly we have documented, you know, two justices have said there were rights issues, there were rights violations here. And, and so we need to establish now, is there justification for violating people's rights. That's what this case is ultimately going to be about. Is there justification 
for violating the rights of Canadians because they're very clearly being violated. I, I think that that would be hard to argue. It's, is there justification? And that's what's going to be effectively uh, on trial. I didn't see, that, that's interesting because I didn't know that component of it, that they could be violated with justification. Yeah, and the, I know you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, like they have to take the you know all the citizens into mind and stuff. So and that so I didn't think of that component because I just always looked at it like I don't get it. It's clearly a violation. So how does this make sense? So as long as they can convince someone, I'm not going to say prove. I'm going to say convince yep. that it's justified. Hmm. Man, there's a lot of in, that's in how this, it works. It gets complicated. Yeah, man. but in this, in, in so it goes to one judge. And if you think about it, like I know there's our legal system, right? With with the judges, there's. With this type of thing, with such a wide-ranging measures, it's for one person to have the power to make that decision that has such far-reaching implications is uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. It makes you it makes you think about it for sure. And that and that brings us, in a sense, to well, it doesn't. We don't have to shift to Bitcoin right away, but um, the importance of decentralizing power. So you mentioned actually at the start of this that um, you hadn't studied you know civics since high school or whatever, right? I vividly that's rem- what it would have been a civics course no I guess, <laughs> thank <Probably>. you <laughs> I I vividly remember and this is in public school for me but I vividly remember it's probably grade five if I had to guess learning you know learning the little tidbits we do about government in school and the teacher was teaching a lesson and she goes yeah you know the the point of government is that you know we have the federal government we have the provincial government we have the municipal government so we have these layers and the idea is that we spread the power far and wide so the closer you know, uh, an entity is to its people, they should have more power. So the federal government having a lot of power, making decisions that affect 35 million Canadians is less effective than, you know, the municipality of Toronto or Oakville, which only impacts, you know, their smaller population. And they are more familiar with uh, whether it's the demographics or the cultural, you know, interests and whatever it may be, the different factors that are specific to that population. So if you spread things out, if you spread power further out, you're going to wind up with better outcomes. That was the goal of our government. That's how it was designed. This is, that was literally a lesson. For some reason, it stuck with me. And obviously, it's becoming more clear why it stuck with me all these years later. Um, but that was a lesson that was taught to me. And Bitcoin is all about decentralization, right? There's no individual that's responsible, that there's no central power that's responsible for everything. And we, I think, as you know, at a society, society-wide level, really need to start thinking about that lesson again, and applying it not just to Bitcoin, but to a lot of other facets of our lives. Because if we have this top-down edict, you know, blanket rules can lead to problems. This is where, and I, I just want to, I do want to talk yeah. to you about uh, the the whole issue with COVID. And you have here saying it's unquestionably a civil issue, not a criminal issue. I just yes. really want to kind of touch touch on that. And hopefully we remember to circle back on that for, but but on back to Bitcoin for one second. So yeah. we can pause there for, for a second on that issue. I think... When you separate money from state, a lot of what we're talking about does get solved because the state or the government doesn't have the privilege of doing whatever they want at any moment they want and then producing the money out of thin air to pay for these things, which cause a societal repercussion that's devastating, in my opinion, through inflation and moral decay. And so I really, and I know, I know you're, you know, you're, you wrote the book, you know, about Bitcoin. Um, So I I know you're agreeing with it, or at least some aspect of this, but I, I do believe that if we separate money from state, we can get a government that has to compete 
for our interests and in the, thus it must serve our best interests properly. It must decide and advertise to us how it's going to spend its tax revenues because if we don't like it, we won't vote for that government and yes. they, can't, they can't print the money without, without okay, our taxes. So let, let me play devil's advocate with this exact example to what you guys are saying, okay? They shut down things in March. No one knew what was going on. You said like, yeah, makes sense. Shut things down. We don't know what's going on. And then you're saying separate state from money. However, when the government comes out and decided, and let's say we, let's say everyone agreed to shut things down in March for a period of 30, 60 days, whenever people started getting more data and looking at it and saying, okay, maybe this doesn't make, maybe this is a heavy handed measure, whatever that is. Maybe it's a month and a half, two months. Let's say, let's say it's 60 days. So it's two months. And in that time, then if the government was, we're all saying that was the right decision and they're not in control of the money, then how can they compensate everyone for that? So then in your scenario, it actually is not an ideal situation because they need the ability. Uh, but you're, you're assuming that the government needs to compensate people. Well, if they're the ones saying you can't go earn a living, you don't feel that there's some compensation required for that? Yeah, but there's an easy answer to that. It's called saving. The government should save money for emergencies. Yeah, just like people the, the, save the, money like for Like the emergencies. fact that they have to print the money is because they don't have any savings. So my answer to you, and I understand a transition from this environment to one that requires savings. Yeah, and this is a perfect, and, 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 and to be fair too, the situation we're, we're actually speaking about is, is pretty, is also like but, a, but a that, very unique one but, as but well, But I think right? that's something people will throw at me a lot whenever I talk about this kind of stuff. It's like, well, Tom, like, you know, if they need to build a hospital and it's an emergency to build a hospital, where do you get the money? And I'm like, well, yeah, you have to save money. And it's from your savings and capital formation that you can contribute back to the economy. And it per, it, it, there's a certain morality in that. And I understand that if you don't save enough, you might not have enough to help everyone. But I think the opposite of being able to print money from thin air produces absolute chaos and a moral decay that just trickles through all of society. It also... Right, like if I'm not saying I'm right. By the way, this is just my framework and how I think. I was just trying to get us off of the Bitcoin topic. We're ten minutes in already. We're talking about Bitcoin, so because well, it's was, all related. It's all related. Yeah, it's all related. It's, um, it's, it's the it's the power that the government has. It, it's that privilege is very unique in history. Like, well, Trudeau came along. I'll give you an example. So not even this, the Trudeau came out during this. And remember when, when some provinces were opening up and I don't know, cases were going back up or they were doing more testing. I didn't even know. Like, so not, I don't just want to talk about this crap anymore. But, and he said, he's like, well, we only have so much money. So we're going to have to make some decisions basically saying, Hey, if you're not doing what we want you to be doing, the federal funding you're going to get to support your economies locally are not is not going to come. I forgot and he said that. He, he said that. He said didn't that. One hundred percent. Maybe yeah. that wasn't an exact quote, yeah, but one hundred percent. I remember him saying that, and I'm like, Jesus, you know, that's what they're doing. That so that's the approach he's taking. He's like, okay, we're not going to tell you what to do, but if you don't follow our guidance, we might have to make some tough decisions about where we're putting our funding. And I guess where I'm coming from when I hear that kind of stuff, it's not a Bitcoin thing. This is just separation of money from state. That, that's where I'm talking about. Bitcoin happens to yeah. be the... Yeah, the, it, could be any, it could be anything, to be honest. Yeah. Right now, it could be anything. But actually, coming back to what you said about Ontario providing support, right? So we're, we're using this example of, oh, you know, did, did Ontario actually provide support to all the people that supposedly needed it because their business had to be shut down, supposedly? Um, I mentioned in the article, I, I purposely inserted uh, the term fiat privilege into this article because I couldn't talk about Bitcoin in this, obviously. Um, this, is, this is unrelated, but fiat privilege 
to me is very much related. So that that is a term referring to the unfair financial benefits enjoyed by those who are closest to the money printer, right? If you can print money, then you can pay whoever you want because you have this infinite supply of money. Conversely, if you run a business, you need revenue. You need your customers coming to pay you. It's no different than a drug dealer. If you have a good dealer, you want to be his friend because you want more drugs for cheaper. But is, what, that, is that good? But, I can but, always bring but, it back to drugs. But in terms of how, <laughs> I'm watching Snowfall. Have you but, watched that? But in terms of how that played out specifically in Ontario, like factually, how that played out in Ontario, um, 117,000 federal employees, so the, you know, Ottawa employees, got full pay to do nothing. And what that's not for the entire year, but for, at various points throughout the pandemic. 117,000 federal employees got their full pay to do absolutely nothing. In the private sector, where you don't have fiat privilege, businesses had to lay off staff. I think 765,000 people were laid off. That was a record in Ontario. And another 350 or 60,000 had their paid hours reduced. Those 1.1 million people do not have fiat privilege. Their personal wealth, revenues, whatever, decreased. Federal employees had no such issue. So you can talk about how, you know, oh, you know, the government is supposed to step in and help people, but that did not actually happen. Well, but there was SERP, SERP but the, right? And, it, and we know the, the, the household seat. Yes, and that, and that created even more... <laughs> More problems because no, no, now you're paying some people who weren't even making as much necessarily as serve or students who were, would have been working part time. Now they're getting more than they would have gotten. Yeah, but but to be fair, disposable income and the savings rate in Canada went up last year um, with with all the money printing on so, aggregate, so, maybe. So, but but is that how is that proportionally distributed? Yeah, well, we, I don't we don't know the numbers, but to say yeah. they, this to, to say they didn't step in might not be an accurate representation of what happened because you no, know they they, stepped, they, they, they stepped. did support people and, and and some people actually got more money than they were making before, whether that's right or wrong. I'm, but they did. I'm not arguing that they didn't support people. I'm saying that they did. It just wasn't distributed the way that the market would have distributed no, it. That, 100%, and, and that yeah. is very problematic. You're adding to the imbalances. And how many businesses yeah. took on new debt? during right. that time as well. So I know CERB went out, but a lot of businesses took on new debt that they're going to have to repay. Yeah, so I mentioned it, you know, I linked into the article to there was $135 billion of additional debt taken on by yeah. uh, by businesses. And you know who's responsible for that debt? The businesses. When the government took on their, God knows how many hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars in debt, we're gonna, you and yeah, I are going to pay that. Taxpayer. Right? So they, all, they, don't, they don't pay for the bills. In they, all, they so pay. in all your, your you know, kind of outlining for, and research for this particular article, it's something I talk about with friends. Have we increased ICU beds in Ontario throughout this year? I couldn't, I didn't have an answer for I that when know, I looked I into know. that. Do, have you looked into this? Because so, I just think that should be the obvious thing as a, you know, to go back to our topic about hospitals totally. and money. That should be the obvious thing we should do. So interestingly, so Adam Skelly's press, press conference, which he did, which he had on, I think it was February 27th and of course, or February 22nd, pardon me. And of course I linked to it in the article. Um, he mentioned something that I thought was super interesting. And it's like, oh yeah, of course, if you go back and Google, you know, to 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, there's always capacity problems in our system. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. yeah so like this, this is not a new problem. If anything, if we've known for all these years that we are lacking for beds or capacity in hospitals and the government is responsible for healthcare, then shouldn't the government, after all these years of having these issues, been building out extra capacity? Yeah, that seems like such an obvious question, like Jesse. It's, it's, <laughs> okay, right. but what about in the past year now that where it's become a more acute awareness around that? Do you think we have? Do you know by chance? I, I don't know. Yeah, because yeah. that seems like an obvious. Like if we were at... 
however many ICU beds last year at this time, you would think we should have like, I don't know, doubled it by now or something, no? Or increased it by 25%. There's probably COVID-related delays. It yeah. seems to be delaying oh, yes, lots there's, of things. There's delays yeah, yeah, for yeah, lots yeah, of things. Yeah, they're, yeah. Hard, they're probably stuck yeah. in the Suez Canal, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah God. I'm sure, I'm yeah, sure they're, 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 they're on the boat. So then why... So they're strapped to some guy's back and he's swimming over right now. Yeah. This, this was interesting for me. And you gave me some context in how to think about things. You, you, you said that it's a civil issue, not a criminal one. And that made me think. I was like, yeah, I guess... That's a good way to point this out is that you're from your writing here, you're thinking this should be a civil decision and a civil thing. Not that if someone's not opening a restaurant, it's a criminal offense. Well, we had is that, that is, am yeah. I kind of summarizing that. Yes, 100 percent. We had think about it from the perspective of Quebec with the curfews. Right. If you are out after 8 p.m. or whatever the, the, the time is, you are arrested and fined or fined. I don't know if you're arrested and fined, but I've seen you know videos on alternative news sites that very clearly are showing that they're literally, you know, taking people away. How is that protecting anyone? If they're out at night, what, what is the, what is the difference between being out at night and during the day that the virus doesn't take a break at nighttime? It does. I thought it did. I thought that's what that? it did. Then. No, it's only actually when it only takes a break when you take off your mask to eat your food. Uh-huh. That's when it takes a break. <laughs> I, uh, okay. Yeah. No, no we got to laugh at some, some of them funny. you have to laugh at. That is funny. Because in restaurants, oh, it's geez. also when you sit down, it only, it's only from four feet and above because if you're sitting down, you're good too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, oh, yeah. I hadn't heard that one. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're yeah, sitting yeah. down, you can take your mask off. Yeah. But standing up is where it all ends up at the top of the, it's like heat. The virus rises. Oh, I love, I love, you know, not that I'm, I'm out at any shops or anything anymore, but I, I was out recently at, uh, well, I won't say where, but I was, I was out at a, at a shop somewhere and they go, would you like a uh, thing of water? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So take the water. It's like this excuse to, uh, yeah. you know, oh, oh, take I can take mask. a little virus. Yeah, yeah. I can take a little virus break while I'm yeah, looking that around. Is, that, I've noticed that being a slightly awkward in a few places where you're like, I just ordered a smoothie, but everyone's wearing their mask here, but there's no way for me to drink the smoothie without like taking off. My yeah. I call, I call it, I call it virus breaks. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's where the growing frustration is, is just the, the yeah, there's the, some ridiculousness. Just some to of the, the, it's, just, it's, doesn't make any sense. Well, you right? know where I think a lot of frustration from some of some of the friends that I talked to about this is that they were all on on board because more and more of them have been get growing frustration but then they've seen this thing where it's like open we're going to open um halton we're going to open durham we're going to op- open these areas but then obviously people from toronto and peel drive into these areas but we're keeping toronto closed and then we're opening schools and we're closing schools and it's like none of it really kind of, and I, I, I have to tell you a funny story i saw this uh kids getting on a bus and there was like a parent there spacing out the kids in the line for the bus to get on the bus. And I was like, okay, well, you know, they're spacing out that and, and uh, the kids then get on the bus and you could see two kids that were in the line spaced out, just jump on each other. Like they're supposed to sit, I guess, on the other side of the, but they immediately like, cause they're kids. Right. And they just like jump on each other. I'm like, this is, it's getting a little, you know, it difficult to, to, to really use common sense on some of these things, you know? <laughs> well, and the same thing applies. Obviously we hear lots of stories about the big box stores, right? It's like you can't go shopping at the small store where maybe one or two or three people would want to go in. And so everyone is herded into these giant I, stores and you have hordes of people, you know, piled I've on only top seen of pictures. each other. I, I refuse to go. Yeah, I, know, I just I, refuse to I, go. I have not, go. I have not been, I'm just saying, you know, I go to a smaller grocery store near me, but like, People are, you know, you go to these big box stores and people are packed in, at least sometimes, not all the time, obviously, but sometimes it's like we've driven everyone into these stores because we closed everything else. We, the re- there's no release valve for the pressure. I've been. 
<laughs> I go and it's just I'm like I, I calm my emotions I'm like okay let's just go as like an observer do what you need to do and I just watch the, how other people act from the outside and just I can I do what I need to do and it, it's it there's some extreme circumstances let me tell you there's some some extreme situations so then getting back to your article <laughs> I guess Skelly is taking or his legal team I guess these are lawyers who are supporting him. I can't see him paying for all this kind of stuff. Oh, so I'll, I'll talk about that for just two seconds. Oh, yeah, and then sure. I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. So when he was thrown in jail the first night on uh, the night of, I guess, all the, the, the big show of Forrest, or that was the third night, the third day of opening, pardon me, um, someone, a third party, random stranger, started a GoFundMe campaign for him. Uh, initially, it raised like $70,000 and... Um, that the guard, I've heard Skelly's interviews, he's like, I was in I was in prison for 30 hours, and the guard came up to me at the start of the night. He's like, hey, man, someone started to go fund me for you. It's, it's up to like $25,000. And then they woke him up the next morning. It's like, hey, man, the GoFundMe is up to 70. Oh, no, it's actually up to 100. And so Skelly was saying like, and there was crowds outside like cheering for him. So he was like, it was the best, you know, the 30 hours felt like nothing for him. Um, but it is now, he has over $330,000. It's in a trust with his lawyers. The lawyers are like activist lawyers who are, uh, who have, you know, Canadian human rights lawyers with a with a long track record, basically in Canada. Um, I've seen that. Who is it? I've seen this. Was it Rocco Galati or something? I've seen him no, being pretty so, outspoken about all this stuff. Well, yeah, he's been outspoken, but he's not, to my knowledge, anyway. He's not on the legal team. Okay. Um, there's apparently the Armstrong family, which I I, I believe is Nirmala Armstrong is is the the, the head of the family. I guess. Sure, I, okay, I'm not whatever, I'm not sure yeah. anyway. The Armstrong family, but then Michael Swinwood is the other one, and Michael okay. Swinwood is. Um, you know, you can Google his name and you'll see articles about him on. on what about just like the restaurant lobby? Like, is there a restaurant association or or something that would be like, hey, we got to get some of these restaurants? They just open. don't have the funds. So, yeah. is that what it is? Yeah. Well, there's the CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent, Federation Business. Of Independent Businesses, yeah. right? So, I, I don't know if there's a specific restaurant one, but I know they're, you know, they're doing stuff. There, is, it, there is for the restaurants. There's just so all, all of those things. They're just there's no funds for to, for, to fight a, pro, a prolonged legal battle against the government which just it, it, that's the problem wait. if you guys go back to the fiat privilege the, the government purposely tries to do that and and you know the, it's just david versus goliath and they'll just drag it out so long that you just don't have the deep enough pockets to 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 make it to the end that's basically or you just give up right because you just get tired of it and so from jesse from your understanding of you know these sections of the charter of rights two seven eight nine and fifteen you think that it might take 10 years based on what we've seen from that g20 stuff but like he'll win on some of these things i don't know how long it'll take so there's the process is it starts in the ontario superior court no matter who wins it will be appealed to the ontario uh, I guess the Ontario Supreme Court or whichever court comes after okay. comes after that, and then it'll be appealed no matter who wins to the Canadian Supreme, uh, Supreme Court, and that will be the final say. And I believe, in all likelihood, by the time that comes around, um, you know, it'll end up being lumped in with a few other constitutional cases, like the pastor that was thrown in jail in Alberta, and 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 I'm not saying that that case specifically will be lumped in, but but that's my understanding, having exchanged a few messages. And again, it's like I, I we didn't go into long details or anything, um, but I, I've I've exchanged some messages with Adam, so um, that's my understanding. So he gets his initial court trial in June. Um, I'm very interested to see what comes to light and what the media shares based on what comes to light through that trial. Win, yeah. win or lose. How, how, win or lose how it'll be represented. Because win or lose, information will be put forward by Skelly's legal team about not just 
the right situation, but the pandemic and things going on in and around the pandemic and testing and all sorts of stuff. Um, so it'll just be very interesting to see what comes to light, not because he'll be bringing in um, medical and public health experts from around the world um, who have fought winning cases in other jurisdictions around the world. Um, so I'm, I'm just very curious to see how that plays okay, out. Okay, so you've helped me understand things. So I guess the way you think things should have been done, whether you agree with them or not, is that it should have been federal level invokes the Emergencies Act. Yes. And then at the federal level, they invoke the Emergencies Act. So then the provinces follow that temporary Emergencies Act. Yes. Then you think that it should have been a civil issue, not a criminal issue, so that if somebody does open up a restaurant in that kind of case, they are, and it's against the Emergencies Act, they get fines, but they're not like criminally arrested and charged. Yeah. Now Correct? Would, yeah. Now, so uh, Am I summarizing that? Kind yes. Of? yes. As a, but what has happened is that the federal government did not do that. They put it on the provinces. The provinces then turned to their health, their primary health official who used the World Health Organization as a bit of a guide. Yes. And then we're using now a couple unelected bodies to make some decisions that, that are for imposing the, rules upon uh, all of on us. our on our province and some of those bodies might be the world health organization that's even outside canada yeah and that argues in the independence of, of us as a and country they're not and they're not taking into consideration yeah the rules governing our land yeah right and that's problematic if we're going to be a free and independent so it, country. so so i guess what you're saying is that if we followed the processes that we kind of have in place for these things it could have been done and whether then you agree with them or not it could have been done in a much better way. I think in all likelihood, yes, it could have very well been done in a much better way. We talked about how long-term care residents were clearly the ones at risk. That's been known for quite a while, I believe now. Why haven't we done a good job of protecting them? It's it's not, you know. I don't even feel like I know if we are doing a good job now. Do you know? No, we're not. That, yeah, like I don't that's really why, know. That's why they haven't changed that much. I don't much. feel like they I know. made they, some regulatory changes. Why are we not advertising what we're doing? Are we not doing anything as a province for long-term long care facilities? I don't even know. But I feel like the province should be on a, like a PR campaign about that. Well, they, they changed some rules. Did for, they? For, uh, people aren't supposed to travel to as many homes in between homes because they were saying that was causing okay, the spread. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, but it right. is relatively minor things. Like to to this point, I, I've my thought was a long time ago when this came out. I was like, why don't they put up like an iron curtain around all the long term care facilities? Seems like it makes we sense. have rapid tests, and I know some some health officials you, will say, well, that these tests, that test, whatever. I, I don't want to get into that the whole testing issue, but. If we have these damn rapid tests, use them and don't let someone in the, the health, long-term health care facility unless they test you are, negative. You are literally saying exactly what Skelly said in his conference right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that good or bad? I don't know, I don't know <laughs> so, the Skelly guy still. And, so. and, and just so I know, we d we have these rapid tests in Canada? I always Ontario, assume we, have I we, just assume we always have the worst stuff. They We've had them for so long, we haven't used them. These things have been in stock So why forever. don't we use the rapid test? Why the f What's a rapid test? 15 minutes or something? Yeah, it was like 15 or 20 minutes. Okay. Why? Look, we I, it, the logic to the testing doesn't make any sense. Why do we shut down the whole economy on a positive test, but the negative test we throw out the window and say, go stay home for two weeks? Mm -hmm. So when you ask me testing questions, I'm like, I don't know. None of it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, logic, logic, right? is, the, the logic is being tested yeah, here yeah, on many yeah. levels. Yeah, logic is, 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 has been thrown out the window. And, and just coming back to what we were saying earlier about long-term care, right? Um, Doug Ford, at the outset, and I, again, I linked to all this because I'm backing up everything I'm saying in my article, um, said, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes at the start of the pandemic, whatever it takes. Report came out, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that um, public health had made a few, or it wasn't necessarily public health, but a group of medical doctors made a recommendation 
um, saying that, you know, we need to protect long-term long care facilities. Here's how to do it. Here's a bunch of recommendations about how to do it. Those recommendations were rejected because they were, quote, too expensive. We're spending money left, right, and center as a province and as a country, and they're rejected as being too expensive. So what are we spending all our money on if we're not protecting the people that are most vulnerable? This is where, again, the logic of so much of this is just like, in my mind, it's it's falling apart. It's, how, it's dissolving. Uh, how, how, where does this passion, like, where does this passion for you wrote this book, you write this article, where, well, what in your background, where does this come from, Jesse? What are you doing? <sighs> oh, God, where, yeah. where does this come from? That's, that's You're clearly I'm... marching to your own drumbeat here. And, and you know, it, it, it is cool listening to you because you, you've gone and you've gone through and written this article, taking the time to do this. You're not just throwing ideas without having put some thought to them. Like, I don't know how long it took you to write this article. Well, but it took, it, yeah, it took me a month. Yeah, yeah, I could tell with all the I, I was like thinking about it morning, noon, and night. Yeah, so where does this come from with you? Uh, well, writing is a new phenomenon for me. I wasn't a writer until I published this book, and now suddenly it's it's growing on me. Um, yeah. The, is like, it a therapeutic thing where you've had all these kind of thoughts and putting them on paper just gives you a little bit of clarity? Yes, it, for me, definitely, because I'm going through, I'm doing my research, I'm making sure my arguments are... I mean, you know, I'm very efficient with the way I use my words. I, I, I try not to waste a reader's time and it's, I just get to the point and try to do it as persuasively and like with as much, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for with as much bravado as possible while still being very concise. I was say oomph. Yeah, with oomph, exactly. Um, I don't know how this, this came on to me. I, so someone asked me this the other day about, you know, have I always been a good writer? And I said, well, like I always thought I was kind of an above average writer, like through high school and whatever and university. But I never in a million years thought that I would write stuff that I would be publishing and now like talking about publicly and, and promoting and trying to get like waving my hands to get people to look at because I think it's really important. Like never in a million years did I think I'd be doing this. Um, what has the feedback been like from your article? So how long ago did you publish it now? Has it been a week or two been, weeks? Uh, yeah, it's been, yeah. No, 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 no. It's been five days. Okay. Oh, five days. Um, and then, so what has the feedback been like? How are you, and how are you dealing with the feedback? Cause I can imagine what you're, what it's coming your way. Yeah. It's, you know, I knew that if this would probably rub a couple people the wrong way, cause it's not the message that we're being sent constantly morning, noon and night by our media. It's, it's different. Um, so you know, a couple people, one or two, and when I say a couple, I literally mean like one or two have voiced a little bit of like, uh, I don't know, some opposition and starting to debate me on, the, you know, this fact or that fact. And and I get that. Like, I'm not an encyclopedia. I don't have absolutely everything, every answer. I'm, I'm trying to make a fundamental argument. But I've gotten a lot more messages of thank you for writing this. Thank you for speaking up. Um, that, that was a very pleasant surprise for me to get a, a, a bunch of those. Yeah, one thing it could be a little bit of confirmation bias, the way algorithms work and stuff like that. I hope not. I hope more people are, you know, but one thing that I found disheartening for me over the last 12 months when you mentioned the media is that, do you remember there used to be like these pages in the newspaper and there used to be a point of view and there would be the two like the, articles. the opinion pieces. Yeah, but no, no, but specifically two articles about like written by oh, staff yeah, for writers. Oh, yeah, against. For and against, like opposing totally. the different yeah. things. And I'm like, where is that gone? Like, I feel like there's been no kind of critical thought put into some of these things in a mainstream narrative. And like, how do the politicians, how are they having these press conferences 
every is it still every day? I don't know. Like I, some, I, they just I don't, I don't even are know. talking forever, mm-hmm. and no one is asking them some critical questions to try to clarify some things. And if they do, they're almost just lumped in with like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, like it's this evil thing. And well, I'm like, well, what happened to this debate? Like that's what media was before. Well, journalism, right? I think just journalism. Yeah, like the investigative journalist. Yeah, it, it just that's essentially like what I feel like Jesse, you're doing here. I, well, I don't know how to not, class. It's not readily available elsewhere. Yeah, right? well, they've unfortunately Sorry, been chased underground to a certain extent like if you're critical of this the party line i don't know what else to call it um if you're critical critical of the party line then you're just de facto wrong and a mean person and you're conspiracy theorist and all sorts of things that are like well like i just want to debate and discuss because like we're supposed to weigh pros and cons risk and reward like we need to take these things into account and it seems like we can only just follow this one line of thinking and, and that to me is very problematic just from you know a, society, a social point of view. Um, but one of the journalists who I ended up encountering on my journey as a result of the book, the Bitcoin book, and I, and I mentioned this to you earlier, um, was Trish Wood. So she used to host um, CBC's The Fifth Estate. Um, she has written a book about the Iraq war, which has apparently you know, been very well regarded, um, basically telling stories of soldiers who come back home and, and they're sort of very sad war stories. And it's a very notable book apparently for the Iraq war. Um, so she's like very, I, I think she's an Emmy award winner as well. So like decorated investigative journalist in Canada. Um, she is start now has her own podcast, her own little newsletter. Um, she's been interviewing all sorts of people like medical experts from around the world about COVID and about the power players, shall we say involved with you know behind the scenes of covid and that's sort of her beat right now and also oh, she is doing some investigative type oh work. she's like yeah so she's like prop- that's a podcast that she so has? she has a podcast called trish wood is critical um so i i got invited on there because of my book i i gave her i, I listened did, to that you did a great job on that so way to go yeah she I, I was introducing bitcoin effectively to a very novice crowd at that point um and i was a little nervous because she has this like name and reputation. But anyway, she brought me on and she was fantastic. And she was upset about the GameStop situation, right? She had just started the last year or so, like started trading and getting into the forums. And then she saw, you know, the rug get pulled out from the retail trader and she was just livid at it, understandably so. And she was literally between the COVID restrictions and between the, you know, now the Wall Street's pulling the rug out. She's like, there, where's the solution? Like, where are the answers? And it was right at that moment that she happened to get given my Bitcoin book. And she read it and she called me the next day and she's like, Jesse, like I was literally like about to jump off the bridge kind of thing. And, you know, not, I shouldn't say literally, but, you know, figuratively about to jump off the bridge. Um, And I can see this light now that like you've painted this picture of like, oh, there's, we have a solution to so many ills in our society. Um, And I hadn't recognized it because why would I? That's not her, you know, in her realm. Um, and so that led to us having and this amazing she, conversation. So someone like her, when she leaves, the, when she was at the CBC, was that the fifth estate? Oh, I, I don't know what, you know, under what circumstances she left or when no, she left. No, but was that the organization, CBC? Yeah, I don't it was know. C- okay. CBC. Did, did, can she carry a platform now? Like, does she, does she have a good so enough she, so platform she, to, to, like, go off on her own and start oh yeah, she, spreading her, her own message? Her podcast is growing, from what I can tell. Okay. But she, So she helped me. She reviewed the article for me as well. Oh, um, awesome. Because we've developed a friendship as a result af- after going on and after explaining all things Bitcoin to her. Um, and yeah, but what I was going to say was, so she's interviewed. So there's a gentleman named, uh, I'm probably going to screw up his, his name, but Martin Kuldeff, uh, 
I'm going to try to just look it up. Like, give me one second. On, the, on this particular subject, this is what. So Martin, hold on. I, I want to try to get his you name know, right for listeners. Get, get the name. Martin Kuldorf, K-U-L-L-D-O-R-F-F. Martin Kuldorf is a so professor of Harvard Medical School, disease surveillance methods, um, infectious disease outbreaks, outbreaks, vaccine safety. Um, he is on you know the CDC's you know vaccine committee, and he, he is one of the most cited vaccine scientists like on the planet. Apparently, he has like twenty nine thousand citations, like super 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 highly respected. And he's out there sort of saying, well, there's a lot of you know I don't I don't basically. I don't know how to say this, I guess, but um, that we should be Listen. measuring the measures, the risks and rewards, and that, you know, the vaccine doesn't need to be the silver bullet for the entire society. He's not saying the vaccine isn't necessarily good for some people or others, but like there needs to be, a, it's it's not a blanket thing that we need to inject absolutely everyone on the planet. Like that, that could be problematic. Um, she interviewed him. She's interviewed, she interviewed Roman Baber recently, who's in the Ontario legislature and is speaking out against the harms of lockdowns daily right now and doing great work um so anyway I'm just, i just want to call attention to her show because i think if, if you're looking to get um a different perspective from the same old be scared be afraid stay home don't do anything don't hug don't kiss you're you're gonna you know harm everyone around you and the, you know the world's ending if you want a different perspective on things <laughs> i like how you slipped that in at the end and the world's ending. yeah like if you, so what, what's her show Nate? call it out it, again uh Trish Wood is critical is, is the name of her show. So she's interviewing esteemed like experts from around the world. And it's, it's uh, released as a podcast. It's so a if podcast. you just put it in your, po- any search for podcast, you'll find it. Yeah. And for the most part, it's been related to COVID. She obviously, like I said, she interviewed me. She's interviewed mm-hmm. people on a couple different subjects, but COVID is her main beat right now. The COVID measures specifically. Yeah. I mean, got it. Yeah. Cool. Jesse, anything you else? Uh, so thanks for coming on and sharing your thoughts, man. I just, you know, we need to, I was telling you before we start rec- uh, recording, you're taking on the whole world here. You got to like, we got to take care of you. <laughs> you got to make sure you take some time for yourself. The bankers and, and the government. It. Yeah, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely you're picking your enemies to, wisely. Yeah, yeah You no, went I'm, after the bankers and the government. I know. I <laughs> Two should, small little things that you're chasing down. So listen, I'm serious. You got to take care of yourself. Make sure you're taking some time offline. I see you do travel with two security guards. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, Jesse, thank you. So on Twitter, what's your handle? We'll share whatever, you know, whatever URL you want to share, your book, share. What, okay, what, can I plug can... the other person that I mentioned before? Plug whatever you want. Okay, so um, I was talking to Tom off air just before we started recording. Just so people are aware, there, there's someone out there, there's a lawyer out there that I think the world should be very keenly aware of because he has a very interesting background and he's taking on a very unique mission right now. Uh, his name is Reiner Fuelmich, uh, R-E-I-N-E-R-F-U-E-L-L-M-I-C-H. So he's a German and American lawyer um, who has previously, uh, he was a trial lawyer, lawyer against uh, a fraudulent Deutsche Bank. He got them to settle for like $130 million or something. He also took on Volkswagen. They had that, that there was a diesel fraud issue with them. He beat their brains in two. So he is like a very, very, very credible, no, like giant slayer in the legal field and global legal field. And he was also on the German Corona investigative committee. And he's working on a new case that the world should be aware of. He's working with a, a team with legal experts from around the world and they want to sh- 
basically bring sunlight as the best disinfectant to the COVID scenario. And I guess I'll just leave it at that because there's there's a lot going into it, but it's it it's, has global implications. He is the man for this job. I listened to an interview recently with him, and he was, you know, his apparently he was saying that, uh, you know, I've taken on VW, I've taken on Deutsche Bank, I beat them both, and uh, you know, this this COVID scenario came out, and there, there's there's some things that need investigating that don't seem clear, that's fishy, that we should try to bring to light. And you know, his, you know, he turns to his wife, he's like, honey, you know, if I do this, this is. This is I'm going after again some very big fish. This is a big he, deal. He travels with bodyguards. Yeah, he must be traveling. Yeah. There you go. Um, but basically, his wife is like, "You have to do this." Jeez. Oh, okay, so that that was her answer. So anyway, so he's working one one of the guy the Canadian uh, affiliate that he's working with, to my knowledge anyway, is Michael Swinwood, who is on the Adamson Barbecue case as well. Oh, got it, got it. So just to connect a couple dots, but yes, sure. Reiner Fuelmich is a name everyone should look up. Cool. And your, your, and my name. yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at jberj, J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. Uh, I have the book's website, magicbitcoinbook.com. And of course, the book is Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. And of course, I should also mention um, this this article that we've been discussing. So, I, you know, I would encourage everyone to to look it up. You can find it. It's pinned on my, on my Twitter profile. But it, if you Google risk it for the brisket, I'm, I would imagine it's going to pop up. on And Google. we'll link to it in the show oh, we'll notes of this article. We'll link to but, it so you can um, get easy access. Everything that I'm, I'm talking about and, you know, the things that I'm trying to get, the message I'm trying to get out, I, I try to back it all up. I'm not trying to be a crackpot. Which is like what I think we appreciate. And yeah, I could understand your concern with being perceived as as, as something like that you just said, but you're, you're putting thought into it. And I think whether people or agree or choose to disagree, that is everybody's right. So I feel like it's it's cool that you're putting this out, you're putting effort into it, you're giving effort here. Yeah. And I, and, and I think as long as you're doing effort and doing it with the proper intention, you know, we can all have our own opinions. And I, and I think we all wanna live in a world where we can all debate back and forth what's right and what's wrong. Right. That's so, exactly it. It's, you know, we, I, it, it feels like, again, we were talking about the media, they, they've sort of been complicit in not you know, sharing two sides of the story. So somehow, some way I got inspired to, okay, I'll take up the mantle and at least try to put out a different side and, and I'll do it in a way that is as respectful as possible and as well as researched and thorough and, and, and with bravado, right? Again, we were talking about the bravado. So, so bring it all to the table. Um, and let's, you know, let's talk about the issues affecting our society because there's more to this world and this life than COVID. Good spot to leave it. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate this. Thank, Thank you, you very guys. much. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Jesse. You can find that article in the show notes, but I'm also going to repeat Jesse's Twitter handle here. It is at jberj, which is J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. And he has uh, pinned the article to the top of his Twitter feed. So that might be an easy way for you to get access to that as well. And hopefully you enjoyed that. If you're listening to this and you want to get into some real estate investing, you can check out everything that we are doing at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. Until next time, your life, your terms.